This week, I'm joined by Nick Gallo to talk about Ethico's Ethics and Compliance Optimization System. First, a word from Nick about the ethics verse. Your network is your net worth. Neither are big enough. Hi, this is Nick, Chief Servant at Ethico and host of the Ethics Verse, the coolest place to be every Thursday at noon Eastern. The Ethics Verse is our weekly free webinar series where we invite the top minds in the ethics and compliance space to share their knowledge on topics that matter most to people on the front lines. These are not thinly veiled sales presentations. These are weekly sessions that help you elevate your impact and build an authentic culture of integrity with tactics on how to sustainably crowdsource risk intelligence at scale within your organization. Join the special community each week to build your network, earn free CEUs, win the hottest books in the ethics and compliance space, and gain insights you can implement immediately to expand your impact and reinforce your culture of integrity. You can continue to be the hero within your organization. Go to ethico.com cpn to book a demo, sign up for the ethics verse, and download the exclusive white paper by Tom Fox, 2023, the year in compliance. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. As from listening to the intro to this podcast, Ethico is sponsoring the Compliance Podcast Network this month, and I'm thrilled to have co-CEO of Ethico, Nick Gallo. Nick, first of all, welcome. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. Nick, you guys have something called Ethics and Compliance Optimization System. That, to me, packs a huge punch. So I wondered if we could unpack it. You could tell us what you guys got going that helped people understand the systems approach to this. Yeah, I think uh, there's been a lot of point solutions in our marketplace for a long time. Many of those have not really been updated. They're not the next-gen tools that you see in supply chain or in marketing or in sales. These next-gen tools, they all kind of communicate. They all interact with each other. They, they can connect to all these other data pools and allow for more analytics to come in and more more insights to be generated that you can take action on. And so what our uh, ecosystem, our ethics and compliance optimization system attempts to do is to really build an enterprise-wide disclosure tool that can be customized depending on what an organization's needs are. And it can house in one central in one central sort of repository their speak up stuff, their their proxy reports from from their middle managers. Uh, their exit interviews, uh, their disclosure reports, and they can all be in a single system that allows for investigation workflows, uh, corrective action plans, and connectivity to other systems out there. Legal might be using something else. HR might be using something else. And it's an answer to this problem that we hear over and over again, where we have these really highly paid people in our organization that have this particular skill set, whether it's for investigations or whether it's for ethics and compliance, who are spending time doing really rudimentary tasks, like literally typing in from PDFs from one system into another system. We shouldn't be doing that in 2024. So that's what the the essence of the ecosystem is. And it just allows for a bunch of different modules that are truly not cobbled together from, like a Frankenstein. It's one integrated system that everything can be in and reduce some of the busy work. You know what I mean? Let me unpack some of that that I thought I heard. Number one, in 2020, the Department of Justice said that compliance must have visibility across all data silos within an organization. It strikes me, number one, that this would give compliance or repository they could go to for a variety of different types of business information, business process information, obviously reports, speak ups, people coming in to either see their supervisor or a hotline and actioning that. But it would give compliance a way to have access to data they haven't had in the past. Would that be fair? Yeah, there are there's so much risk intelligence in our organization, right? People are seeing all kinds of stuff. 65% of people have seen wrongdoing or they've seen something in the last year at their workplace. 
people are six to eight times more likely to go to their managers about those kinds of things. And then if you look at the NAVX report or you look at our report, we're patting ourselves on the back for one and a half to three and a half reports per hundred. So there's a ton more risk intelligence out there. And to your point about that guidance from 2020, we're not looking at everything across these data silos. If we're really basing our decisions on one and a half to three and a half reports per hundred, we're like myopically drawing conclusions from like this pinhole, how you look at a at an eclipse through those like pinhole cameras. That's like what we're doing to draw our conclusions from a risk mitigation perspective. And so if we can have a broader picture and we have a tool that's working for us instead of working for a tool, which a lot of people seem to be complaining about in our market right now, we can start to get a broader picture. We can de-risk our organizations in a more meaningful way while reducing our busy work. And so somebody who's optimizing or somebody who's really leveraging an enterprise-wide disclosure tool like this, everything can come into one spot. Like I said, all these different disclosure types, all these different speak up things, all these questions people have, maybe it's in a bunch of incident reports and the tool can push those things out to the points where someone is going to maybe adjudicate it. Like maybe HR is going to do their own and legal is going to do their own, but then you can have that sort of full picture of all of these different points of risk within the organization. And I think if we're talking about elevating from a compliance 1.0 or 2.0, where we're focused on cost avoidance, I'm sorry, just straight risk avoidance or like efficiency to really being that trusted advisor in the organization, really being able to move from that reactionary mode into a, a proactive seat at the table. I think we have to have, that's not going to come by edict. That's going to come from us adding more value. And like in today's knowledge work age, like the value is going to come from data. It's going to come from insights that, that like we can take action on. There's just so much out there. We're really at this, I think, a really exciting time where our industry is really pivoting and it's really starting to elevate. But I think we just, like I was saying before, we need tools that are going to help us do our work in a more efficient and effective way. Let me pick up on some numbers you quoted there. One to three percent versus 65 percent. That's a huge delta. Yep. And one of the things I hear the most is either nothing will happen or worse, I'll be penalized in some way whether it's uh, my supervisor retaliates, whether people speak under their breath, whether I'm denied a promotion, whatever it may be. And one of the things that I think compliance professionals are mandated to do is follow reporters to make sure they are not retaliated against. Yep. Because how are you going to drive those numbers up? The way you're going to drive those numbers up are not compliance telling people speak up. It's Employees telling each other to speak. Exactly. That's exactly and, how it's going to happen. And that goes to culture. That's right. is what the DOJ now says is the most important thing. So how do we improve culture through getting, having a system that people trust to speak up? Like you touched on the retaliation thing. We were doing a keynote somewhere and we asked, we asked how much retaliation are you guys, it was a room full of compliance people. How much retaliation is like acceptable? And everybody's zero, zero, zero. And it's like, all right, ECI came out with a report last year that said 47% of people who spoke up experienced actual retribution. Okay. So even if your organization is two times better than average, that's still like one in four people are, are experiencing actual retribution. And so if we are going to crowdsource risk intelligence at scale and get to a point where we can start providing insights at the point of risk, and we can be that circulatory system or have that sort of respiration of like risk in, guidance out, we need the participation of the workforce. And to your point, the number one reason still, even across generations that people don't speak up is this fear of retaliation. So I think 
that culture is the only sustainable competitive advantage. And like organizations that authentically engage in culture enriching activities where people feel the belonging and they feel like they're part of something and they feel safe to speak up, they always outperform. And you can see it across industries, across time and so forth. I think the best hack is to just attack this thing that is probably happening in in your organization. And let's just say it's not happening in your organization there's actually zero retaliation. People actually are following the uh, zero retaliation policy in your code. There's probably people who are new to your organization and they've probably been new to your organization over the last 12, six months, whatever, where there was likely a retaliation issue where they're coming from. And in from a cultural perspective, in a knowledge work economy where we need that participation from these human sensors, like the perception is the reality. And I find a lot of us maybe are hanging our hat on that code or we're hanging our hat on our our own commitment. So we are against retaliation. I'm just saying it's a huge opportunity to just zero in on that, do an anti-retaliation campaign and show people that their voice actually matters. A couple of hacks like pushing that campaign out, leveraging the middle managers to get them to speak up, following up with folks after they've made a report, especially if they've been identified. Our tool, and I'm, I'm sure ours isn't the only one that has this, but it allows you to communicate back even if somebody has remained anonymous, like following up with folks afterwards, 30 days, 90 days later, and checking and seeing, hey, has there been any kind of retaliation or giving them some guidance on this spotlight effect, which we talked about in a recent ethics verse, we were talking about how the spotlight effect where, you know, if I have something in my teeth, or I say something stupid at a party, I think everybody has thought about it, and no one's really even remembering it. That is such a big factor that feeds into the perception of retaliation, whether it's real or not, is irrelevant. If somebody perceives that retaliation is happening, they are going to talk about it to other people. To your point, they're going to be talking about it to other people in the organization. And those are all headwinds for the level of risk intelligence we're able to gather from folks. So a couple of little hacks like that. And we were talking about this earlier, but recognizing that investigation is a culture enhancer or detractor, right? The way that you treat those customers, so to speak, those folks who are users of your organization can have a massive impact one way or another on the extent to which they spread the word about whether this is a good process or not. And is it safe to speak up? And do I feel like my organization is actually trying to close that gap between the aspirational culture, the words on the wall, the the values page on the website, and the actual culture that people are feeling every single day? Nick, what do you say to the hopefully not compliance officer, somebody else in the organization who says, we don't have any whistleblower reports. They're clean. Everybody's happy. I, I would just say, what I would actually say is, you don't have any reports? And they would say, no, we're clean. And I would just say, what are you doing that's so different than everybody else? Because it's across the board. Half of the reason that people leave organizations is due to some values-based thing. So there's just a plethora of data out there. Look at the EEOC. Half of the claims we're all about retaliation. Half of the discrimination claims are all about retaliation. So like it's happening everywhere. So what is it that you are doing in your organization that is that is that's ha- that has totally stamped out this thing that is a massive problem. It's an epidemic in every other company. I'd like to maybe end with your thoughts on what we started with and I want to get the language right. So ethics and compliance optimization system. And I want to focus on the word system and help the lawyers out there understand that this is a system. It's a business process. Right. It's something that can be monitored. First of all, it can be trained on. It can be monitored and it can be improved. And how does you and your colleagues at Ethico really help the compliance officer think about the business process, but more importantly, the monitoring and then hopefully upgrading or updating the results based upon the evidence? 
So I think Ethico is not the hero in any of these stories. We're just, I think that when smart people who care, who, which is what kind of makes up our entire industry, they have better tools than they just get better results. So like the heroes are the people in the front lines who are, you know, stamping out those risks and looking at the evidence and doing those investigations and trying to build this culture of, of integrity. It's, I don't care how good of an athlete you are. If you're running through the mud in ski boots, you're not going to run as fast as you can. So that's one piece of it. But to your point, all of our functions, all of the things that we do on a day-to-day basis are, are, are just a bunch of fractalized business processes. And when we can get feedback loops and we can be directed towards the things that matter most, and we can zoom out from our business process to see what are the different, what's the choke point that's stopping cases from getting closed faster or getting you know people to respond to disclosure uh, request or dic- disclosure requirements within the appropriate time period, or even completing their training on time. When we can start to analyze those things from an auditable perspective, and, and there's actual data that we can s- respond to, there's usually small tweaks you can make to any system or any business process that can lead to outsized results, right? So there's this sort of universal law called the Pareto principle, which is really the 80-20 rule. And in any complex system, when you can find that choke point, when you can find uh, that constraint on the system and you can alleviate that constraint, then that whole system is going to flow a lot more smoothly. And again, when you don't have that visibility, it's easy It's easy to get into this scenario where you're just like walking up this mountain of risk with rocks in your boots. At some point, you stop feeling the rocks and you don't even know that they're in there anymore. And so it's, this is just a messy process. And I just have to type these PDFs in and I just have to do all these things by hand, even though I have a law degree. If we can let folks who are smart, who care, spend more of their time applying their specific skills to the problem that they have to deal with, those results end up kind of multiplying. So those are a couple of the things I can probably keep rambling about it, but that's how we think about it. It's it's a bunch of business processes that have different steps. And if we can audit those steps, we can get better visibility on what's preventing us from achieving the outcomes we want. There's always like a little small tweak you can make that can really unlock a lot of value and a lot unlock a lot more throughput. Well, Nick, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I want to thank you. And for our audience, we've got a special uh, white paper available at ethico.com backslash CPN. So I hope you'll check that out and you'll get some highlights about some of the things we think are important going forward into 2024. Nick, uh, thanks again. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Same here. See you later. As I said on the opening of this podcast, this month's sponsor is Ethico and Ethico will provide compliance champions like yourself with an ethics and compliance optimization system to turn goals and guidelines into real ROI for your compliance program. To learn more, go to ethico.com backslash CPN and a special white paper offer. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. The award-winning FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.